you would remain standing and open your Bibles to Psalm 2. We'll have the second part of our Psalms introduction today. For the summer, we're going to step out of our study of the Gospel of John and go through some various Psalms. We're starting off with 1 and 2 because they're the doorway to the rest of the Psalter and really teaching us how to access what's in the Psalter. This morning, Psalm 2, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. The word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask for help. Father, thank you for this psalm. Thank you that this world, though it pushes back, in darkness against you and your reign that you have already won. That you, the Son of Christ, have set your throne on the true Zion's hill in heaven and that you sit and you rule and you reign. Now may we approach life as those who are wise. Would you help us in that today, we pray by your spirit, opening our eyes and letting us behold you, King Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. There are some 25 plus references, allusions to this psalm in the New Testament. Why would that be? That's because the apostles, those those writing this by the inspiration of the Spirit see Jesus is the recipient of the plot of the nations. They see Jesus as the recipient of the rage of the people. They see Jesus as the one who will break the nations like a pot with a rod of iron. They see Jesus as the one who will be a blessing to all who find refuge in him. Last week we talked about the Psalms having two introductions. God, his word, his law, God himself being front and center for the individual heart. Blessed is the man is the way Psalm 1 begins. Blessed is the man. You have this 
this breakdown of good and evil, this split. The individual heart can go one way or it can go another. We saw how that was first and foremost true in Christ and how we are considered the blessed and the righteous in him as opposed to the wicked. These two trajectories are at a heart level. That's how we should see the Psalms, the Psalms addressing hearts at that level. But we should also see the Psalms as political. You're like, wait a minute, you're not going to talk politics, are you? I actually am. Because that's exactly what Psalm 2 is doing. It's saying here's another dimension by which we're supposed to view all of the the Psalms through the lens of power and who's really in control. So one is an individual introduction and the other is a kingdom introduction. And view all the Psalms through this grid. This is not a book of Republican political theory or Democratic political philosophy. It's a book about a king and an everlasting kingdom. It's a book about a conspiracy that evil would rise up against that king, seeking to throw that king off. And it's about how that king will triumph over evil. Psalm 2 is perhaps the most quoted and alluded to in the New Testament of all the Psalms. Again, it's it's worthy of our attention. We're going to look at it in four parts. The rage of the nations, the response of God, the revealing of his son, and the refuge provided from wrath. It's interesting that the movement of this psalm, look at it, it goes from rage to a kiss. From the rage of people, enemies of God, setting themselves up against God to a kiss and blessing. It's beautiful in its balance. First, the rage of the nations. You see it there in one through three. The psalmist opens with an ironic question. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? Notice that we've made a shift in in the second uh, portion of the the introduction here from, again, from the individual. We're backing all the way out, and we're talking about nations here, a mass of people, a coalition joining together in defiance of God. In chapter 1, we see the righteous meditating. Such an interesting Hebrew we're meditating on the law of God day and night. Here we see the exact same word for the people's plot against God. They plot against. An- another uh, translation of that is meditate, and it actually comes from the term that a, 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 the sound a lion makes while chewing a bone. So, so utterly focused. It's like a a roar, a growl. It's a a focus. And and in Psalm 1, that focus is the dedication of the the person of God on the law of God. Hey, hey, they're, they're growling over that. And here, it's a growl against God. It's a plot of the nations against the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. This rage is 
people doing this together against God. Further, verse 2, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. This international rage and plot is not just a grassroots movement. It's intentional. It involves kings, people of power and influence, raise themselves up against God. The kingdom of God is about so much more than just individuals. The individual opening to the Psalter would not be enough to understand our world and understand the ways that the Psalter is going to interact with the world, we have to understand that it involves nations, the rise and fall of people groups, all in the hand of God. We see politics as, as something connected to God. Do we see anything akin to a, a rage against God going on in our world? I think you would have to be utterly blind not to see that. We see it in vile national leaders committing terrible crimes against humanity. Just spend 30 minutes looking at what's going on in Ukraine. Because of God's word, we're invited to see that this is a plot not just against the Ukrainian people. It is fist shaken in the face of God. We see it in unjust laws allowing for the mutilation of children. We see it in laws allowing for the slaughter of unborn children in the womb. Do you think those laws are ju just against those kids? Life is what it is because God made it. It is sacred because he calls it so. We see it in corruption of leaders at every level of government. The Bible is telling us that this is not accidental. This is an intentional plot. The question is, how do we move from a picture of a happy person, a blessed person in chapter one to the fury and plots of kings and uproar in chapter two? The end of verse 2 tells us the chief target of all of it against the Lord and his anointed. That's the force of all this bad stuff that's going on in 1 through 3. It's, it's all directed toward him. The force and rage of this plot is against God and his anointed. It's interesting that the psalm doesn't say that the people are raging generally against the, the idea of a God. That's not what it says. It says, against the Lord and his anointed. So who is the anointed? That's an interesting term for him to bring in here because it has to do with kings. In the Old Testament, you see prophets, priests, and kings being anointed. We learn in 1 Samuel that Samuel anointed both Saul and David, setting them apart as king, whose task it was to rule Israel rightly, justly, and embody God's covenant faithfulness. The Hebrew word for anointed is Christ. The psalmist is simply looking at the world and seeing evil in the world and saying at a national level, evil exists because it exists against God and his anointed, his Christ. 
In God's program, anointed leaders rise up to prophesy, to act as priests between God and people, to lead God's people as kings. In this psalm and other psalms, we see King David as God's anointed. However, how could we read the psalm without reference to the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the anointed one? So what do these kings and people have against God? Verse 3 tells us very clearly. Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Human beings are made by God in his image, and as such, we owe him our very lives. Westminster Catechism 1. Right? It's, it's not true because the, the people thought, oh, we're going to have this neat catechism that says... We're to glorify God in in all of life. It's true because it's true all over scripture. We are built for him. And these people say, no, I refuse. I am not built for you, God. People rage and plot to throw off the bonds with which God has tied us to himself. We see that the powers of the earth and the crowds are plotting together against God in similar fashion to the Ephesians. The psalmist is exposing the truth that we live in a world like this, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Psalm 2 is pulling back a curtain and saying, yes, all the Psalter is about you and your heart, but it's also about us as a nation and the way we interact with our God. As the psalmist reveals the plot and rage, I think we can learn some helpful things. This plot against God, whether knowingly or not, is is utterly vain. It's a vapor. It comes to nothing. It's empty. And this source of rage, uproar, injustice, lack of mercy, compassion, and grace in the world finds its source right here. You ever wonder why are things so broken? Why are things so defiled? How how did we get in this mess? Psalm 2 is here with an answer. People are raging against God to throw off his bonds. We don't like what he says to us. I want it my way. Acts 4 in our New Testament reading tells us there was another plot, another rage, another attempt to cast off God and his anointed, and they specifically point to the person and work of Jesus Christ. This grand international coalition of Herod, Pontius Pilate, they would not have love lost between them. Two powerful people in Jerusalem with two different factions. And then further, it says the plot also includes the Gentiles. But he doesn't just stop there. The plot includes Israel. And what was all that plot about? Killing Jesus. Killing him. They wanted him gone. They wanted him, we've seen this again and again in John, they just wanted to erase Jesus. Just have him go away. He's here disrupting everything about us. So they had this huge plot that brought together this disparate group from all over the place, different powers that ordinarily did not come together at all, and they all came together with one mission in mind, 
to erase Jesus on a cross. How can we think about this? I think one thing is attempts to cast off God's authority continue to serve his purposes. He, he, is, he is never out of control. Even that grand plot, that international plot against Christ only served the purposes of God. That plot looks utterly weak because through his death, burial, and resurrection, he, he saves, he redeems, he liberates. Peter and John ask of God to allow the mission of God, the advance of the gospel of the kingdom of God to go out despite a raging world. So that, that New Testament lesson that we heard, they're thinking about the plot of Jesus and they're wanting those same realities to apply to their lives on mission. Look, they're on mission and things are hard. They are proclaiming Christ and getting beaten for it, getting imprisoned for it. The, the threat is that the, the gospel wouldn't go out and they say, look, the nations are raging again. What are you going to do? And their plot doesn't succeed. The gospel continues to go out. You and I are living proof of that reality. Do we see this rage continue in our world? Do we continue to see hostility against God, his anointed, and his people? More Christian martyrs in the 20th century than all the others combined. There are some very dangerous places on this earth to be a Christian. Yeah, that's, it's no accident. God is hated. His Christ is hated. His people are hated. None of that should throw us. So what's the response of God to this rage? I love it. Look at verse 4. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. God has three responses. God laughs in derision. I love what Reverend Charles said. Quote, man's rebellion is divine comedy. Man's rebellion is divine comedy. What a great line. It's like watching a stand-up comic to, to, to God. It's a joke. He laughs. He laughs at this plot. This picture of God, he's seated high and lifted up on the throne, the, the true ruler. He's the one who's controlling all things, and he's looking down, and he sees this plot, and he laughs in derision. Literally, he mocks and scoffs. God is laughing at man's futile attempts to break the bonds, to be autonomous. He knows that that is impossible. As much as you try, you will never break those bonds. Is there room in your theology for a God who would laugh in mockery at his enemies? I hope so. It's in his word. Second, God doesn't just mock. God speaks his wrath and fury. This is the anger of God which burns against them. 
from a perfectly holy and righteous God who cannot and will not tolerate sin. God speaks in judgment against his enemies. We read this in Revelation 6. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling on the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? That's the fury of heaven. This is contained in our God. So he laughs, he speaks in his fury. This third response, we really need to pay attention here. God's response to rage and a plot is to set up his king in his place. You guys plot and you do all your stuff and I'm moving my body politic in. This is my power. This is what you will see of me. You will see my king set up in my place where I want him. We see this as God accomplished. Uh, God accomplishes this when David moves the tabernacle to Jerusalem, setting up the throne on the hill of Zion where the temple will be built. Zion is the footstool of God. It's the place of Davidic kings, God's overthrow of evil and all his enemies will be established by a king. That's what he's saying. That's what he's going to use. We see that king in 2 Samuel 7. We, we read these promises. We, we think, man, it, it might be David. God promises to build David a house. And that one coming from David would rule and reign in that house forever and ever and ever. This king would have no end. That's the Psalm 2, king of Zion. That's the greater one than David, Jesus himself. God's overthrow of evil is established by his king. So we have the rage of the nations, the response of God, and then the revealing of the sun. Note each movement of the psalm has a threat in the backdrop. The, the nations rage, the people plot. However, there's one answer, the anointed one, the king, now the sun. Seven through nine, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Does that sound familiar? Have you heard that somewhere else? The apostles in Acts see this text as a reference directly to the resurrected Son of God. Listen to this, Acts 13, 22. And we bring you the good news that God promised to the fathers. This he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. When the apostles read Psalm 2, they see Jesus right here. Psalm, listen, that's the other, Psalm 1, we, we had it perfectly. Jesus is the righteous. Contrast to everyone else and our righteousness is hidden in him at this individual and heart level. And now Psalm 2 is doing the same thing and it's pointing to Christ at an international, at a global level. It is saying he is real power. He is the real thing. If 
you want to get this life right, you have to get him right. The fulfillment of God's purposes are through this anointed one, this Davidic king, the son of God, the conqueror of death and hell and sin, the redeemer. This is about resurrection. The risen son of God does two things. He rules the nations. The nations that we see plotting in verse 1 are being ruled by the son here. The psalm says he wins. He wins. He rules the nations, but he's also the judge of the nations. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like the potter's vessel. There are two pictures that are being presented here. One is this this rod. Could be a shepherd's tool. We see uh, a lot of shepherding metaphors in the Psalms, but this rod is a rod of iron. And this tool that's used to protect the sheep is in in view, and it's terrifying as an image, smashing something to smithereens. This is the heart of the sun for his people. This is the heart of the sun for those he would save. So far, we have all these plots and kings aligned against God, and we have God's laughter, we have his anointed king, the son, judgment and salvation. What's the application? Well, we don't have to make it up. The psalm gives us an application. Look at verses 10 through 12. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest you be angry and you perish in the way for his Wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So we come to the answer of the psalm. We have the world heaving against God, raging in wickedness against him, wanting to cast off all of his authority and be done with this God. Then we have the derision of God for them. He laughs. He mocks. And then he sets up his son. So then what is the world to do with this? Listen to this line. The whole psalm is about cosmic war. The whole thing is a system designed against God. What what all is at stake? I return to the kings and rulers of verses 1 and 2. Be wise how you proceed. Careful, kings. Watch out. On this verse, Calvin wisely notes that those with power, whether it be kings or people in this room, those in power, kings, rulers, are often puffed up, proud, full of foolish conceit, and are very difficult to ever bring around a state of humility. This is the warning at a geopolitical level. This is a warning to all of us today. Be careful. Tread lightly. The kings are warned that they better count the cost if they're going to plot and rage against God and his anointed. The cost for such conflict is very high. The alternative to fighting is very interesting. He says, serve. That could also be translated this worship 
There are two options in the world, rebel against God in rage or worship him. We see this dichotomy at the heart level in Psalm 1, and we see this dichotomy at an international level here in Psalm 2. How will we respond to God? Serve the Lord, he says. This is the alternative to a fight. The contrast is worship the Lord with fear, rejoice, literally call out with trembling. He sets these, these great verbs of joy with also reverence and awe. They, they, he jams them together and says, this is your right response. Worship him with fear and trembling. Rejoice, literally call out with trembling. As opposed to living your life casting off the bonds of God, find your truest freedom in him. Life makes the most sense. Listen to this. This is utterly true. It makes the most sense. Not rebelling against our creator, but actually living life in, on his terms. Giving ourselves over to him in worship. Now we come to the right posture before God, not rage, not a plot, submission, worship. Then we hear this, kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. It might be hard for us to understand this imagery, kiss the son. What does that mean? They would have understood this language perfectly clear. So you're a conquering king. You come in, the, the enemy, you've, you've, you've won. You've decimated their army. The battle's over. That losing general, that losing authority would then come and kiss the king of the conqueror. It was this, I submit. I give up. You win. Kiss the son, lest he be angry. Submit. Submit to him lest he be angry and you perish in the way. The point is to surrender to this king, submitting to him, giving yourself to the true king, throwing down your weapons, stop plotting against God. And then what happens next? We end at the same place that Psalm 1 begins. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Listen, this is the full circle of the introduction starts with blessing at this heart level for the individual and ends with blessing for the world. This blessing for the world are those who take refuge, who fly to him, the anointed of God, flying to Christ for refuge from this God of fury who can smash with a rod of iron and break to pieces. What, what other option do we have? And here's the beauty of the gospel. Here, here's how Jesus himself uh, just utterly fulfills all of this. He was smashed to pieces. His body broken, his blood shed so that we might take refuge in him. He fulfills this psalm. He's the recipient of the plot. They break him. The one who could break nations and worlds in an instant was broken. So that we might have this invitation at the end of the psalm. 
as individuals, as nations, as a whole world, take refuge in him and there find blessing. We're all looking for a king, whether we acknowledge it or not. Every time you complain about the political system, and I know nobody in here ever does that, every single time you do that, you are longing for a king. You are longing for God himself. The next time you say something bad about political leaders, you're going to do it. I might do it too. Here's what we're longing for. We're longing for this king right here. Kiss the sun. Take cover in him. Find refuge in him. We're looking for a king. We're created for a king. God as our king, not throwing off his bonds lest our lives lead to utter wreckage. This king has demands of us. Either we take refuge in him or we're smashed to pieces. Refuge in God's grace, redemption in his mercy, hope because of what Christ has done, because of how good he is, because of his death, burial, and resurrection. And outside of that is wrath and fury and curse. So this king does have demands. Even the, the wreckage that is us and our lives, he demands of us our allegiance. Surrender. Give up. The applications, this is what makes the psalm so great. They're, they're very simple. The application here is this. Have you kissed the sun? Have you put your faith and trust in Christ and him alone. That's the application. Surrender. Give up. He wins. Do you serve the Lord in fear? Do you rejoice in the anointed son king while trembling? This is why you were made child of God. And anything less perishes in the way. Hear the, the psalm, hear the introduction of one and two side by side, these double doors that open up into the psalms. Hear them tell us, blessed are those who take refuge, who hide in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these introductions. Thank you for the promise of blessing in Christ. Lord, may we be those who are marked by surrender. May we serve you, worship you rightly in fear. May we also rejoice, cry out in trembling. Lord, forgive us when we are stubborn and look and sound like the world, plotting against your bonds, thinking they're too much for us, desiring to cast them off. Forgive us. Help us remember again and again and again, and even this day, to surrender, to simply believe, to find refuge and so find blessing. 
in Christ's name we pray, amen.